Welcome to the Asian Sewist Collective podcast. The Asian Sewist Collective is a group of Asian people from around the world brought together by our shared appreciation for fiber and textile arts and our desire to see more Asian representation in the sewing community. In this podcast, we explore the intersection of our identities and our shared sewing practice as we create a space for Asian sewists and our allies. I'm your co-host, Ada Chen, and I'm recording from Denver, Colorado. Denver is a traditional territory of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho peoples. I'm a Taiwanese-American marketer turned entrepreneur, and these days you'll find me running my all-natural skincare business called Chuan's Promise. That's C-H-U-A-N apostrophe S, Promise, in sharing my marketing tips on my blog. Most importantly for this podcast, you can find my sewing at i.hope.sew on Instagram. And I'm your co-host, Nicole. I'm based outside of Chicago, the original homelands of the Council of the Three Fires, the Ojibwe, the Potawatomi, and the Odawa people. I'm a Philippine-American woman, a lawyer by day, and a sewing enthusiast the rest of the time. You can find me on Instagram at Nicole Angeline Sews. All right, before we dive into this week's episode, Nicole, can you tell us about your current sewing project? I can. I am actually working on something this week. I am working on a pair of short alls. Oh. You know what I'm saying? Short alls. I think that's how the kids say overalls that are shorts. Um, I have two meters, calling it meters because it came from England, <laughs> um, two meters of uh, like a Barney purple chambray oh chambray a barney purple corduroy oh and it's two meters long and it's i measured the width in 57 centimeters um but it's from my mother-in-law pat who gave it to me the last time i was in england nice is that like a full cut that pat bought or was that like an off cut that pat was using for something else it's a full cut um of two yards and i wasn't sure what i wanted to make i think so I don't, you know, dresses and skirts, not me anymore, but I didn't want to make pants because well, I just don't <laughs> want to make pants. Um, and then I was like, oh, you know, a jumper would be cute, like a pinafore, but I'm like, mm. but for whatever reason, skirts and stuff don't, they don't feel right. So I am going to make the Helen's Closet Ruby overalls, which come, I think it's VB is a short all version of it Uh, and so I am going to make the straight size 18 I haven't cut out the fabric yet but I've got the pattern ready so that's a start I'm also thinking about and maybe we can talk about this on a future podcast but thinking about making napkins I paused because it sounded it's like okay you said ooh. I was like this is unexciting and boring I'm like "Hmm." (laughs) like it'd be nice to get through some of the cotton that I, that I have and make like napkin sets for family in Australia. Um, and of course I'm overthinking it because I'm like, do I do double-sided? Do I do mitered corners? Like, do I do the, you know, single-sided with mitered corners? Um, but I'm like, well, I'll, uh, maybe I'll start it after the, uh, the corduroy short alls. And it's finally cooling down in the Chicago area, although it's going to be like 80 again on Wednesday. So boo. But, but then you could still wear shorts in that. Exactly. But I won't get it done in two days. But we'll, <laughs> we'll see. There's always tights that can be worn underneath short alls. And what are you working on? So 
I'm not working on any clothes. We had a barbecue yesterday. It's the first time I've ever entertained more than like a couple of friends. Hmm. And our friends who dog sit for us occasionally were over. And we were talking about how I do have a baby sling that I made for Mochi. It has like two big metal rings that I sewed on. It's actually that same fabric that I sent you, Nicole, with the floral print. It's kind of like a narrower cotton. Um, And it's great, but uh, Mr. Mochi is uh, a little uncomfortable right now. He's getting up there in age. We've had some not great diagnoses today from the oncologist, so I'm trying to make him comfortable. And I was thinking I bought this 88-yard roll of black knit fabric when I was at the Creative Reuse store in Boulder with Lisa Wolfork. And I there's plenty of it for the t-shirt classes and the box tops that I'm going to teach. But I was thinking maybe I should just cut a big strip of that and make it into like a knit fabric sling mm-hmm. for a dog. I don't know if you've seen those. They're like $10 on Amazon and they kind of look like a messenger bag, but like crossed with a hoodie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have. So I was like, it can't be that hard. It's like two tubes of fabric. <laughs> like, what what could that be? So I will be, I'm working on like, what? how do you reverse engineer this from just a few certain angle shots online? I bet you'll figure it out and Mochi will love being able to be carried and close to you too. Comfortably. I hope so. Otherwise, he's just going to get another thing to snuggle in. That's not objectionable at all. Right. <laughs> this episode was produced by Ada Chen, researched by Cindy Chan, and edited by Clarissa Villando. Hey, podcast listeners, looking for a way to support the Asian Solos Collective? Well, we have a great way for you to do that now, and we are excited to announce our first set of merch. We've launched a limited edition set of woven labels on our coffee page, so ko-fi.com slash Asian Solace Collective, and you can get a pack of five woven labels custom designed by our very own producer, Mariko, with some cute sayings from seasons one through three, like this was a panic sew, forgot to pre-wash, or made with fabric purchased while traveling. And they all have really cute designs on them that you should definitely go check out on our Instagram, and on our coffee page and to get your very own set of five labels you will be supporting the podcast and helping us bring you new content and new guests week after week so head to ko-fi.com slash asian sewist collective so today's episode topic is going to be something we've mentioned in the past and we haven't actually done a deep dive into which is wedding sewing if you've been following along i got married last year and so a lot of the stuff that comes up with wedding planning and sewing some garments in the lead up to my wedding came up in all those episodes from season four and season three and today is not about me or my wedding though it's about the topic of wedding sewing in general was you really Last year was when you got married, 2022? Yeah, yeah, we celebrated our one-year anniversary. Oh, congrats. I, for whatever reason, felt like it was just not that long ago, but... I know. You know what they say about time flying. Literally. I'll leave it there. (laughs) So today's episode is going to be about wedding outfits, especially because that term can mean lots of different things to different people across the Asian diaspora. 
we're going to talk about the different ways you can approach acquiring a wedding outfit. And then we're going to share some stories and journeys from our team and you, our listeners. So let's start with wedding outfits. What is a wedding outfit exactly, Nicole? Uh, It's what you wear on your wedding day. (laughs) But let's, yeah, done. Podcast over, episode (laughs) done. But I guess we should get a little more specific, of course. So for those of us who grew up across cultures, a wedding outfit might mean different things. Oftentimes, the outfit that we associate with weddings is a white dress or a Western wedding dress or wedding gown. Now, Western wedding gowns used to be just a person's best dress, and before the 1800s, it was frequently a black dress, though there were scattered periods and cultures in history where brides wore white to symbolize purity. And the real big shift to white dresses happened after the 1840 wedding of Queen Victoria of England to Prince Albert. Queen Victoria's portrait was widely distributed because, you know, They got to tell all of their subjects. And nowadays, we could call her the first, quote, celebrity wedding influencer. And even so, having a white wedding dress was typically reserved for those who were wealthy enough to have one. Basically, the impracticality of an all-white garment was seen as a status symbol, especially since most people still wore their wedding dresses after their wedding as formal wear. And it wasn't until after World War II that white dresses became widespread and the whole concept was respun to symbolize the purity or the bride's virginity. Right. And the concept of the white wedding dress really kind of expanded from there. Now they're pretty much everywhere, including in Asia. The white wedding dress rose in popularity across Asian countries as globalization, the opening up of communist countries, and the desire to emulate Hollywood, read as white-dominated narratives, became more popular. There are now tons of photo studios in Hong Kong, Taiwan, Singapore, and I'm sure in other Asian countries elsewhere where you can actually rent an elaborate white ball gown to wear for wedding photos or even for your wedding day, much in the same way that we think of the wedding dress industry as big business here in the States. A lot of similar imagery and narratives have turned into big business in Asia as well. I'm also going to add a note here that a wedding outfit could also include a tuxedo or a suit or any garment really, like Nicole said, that is worn for a wedding on your wedding day. One of my friends actually wore a fancy one-piece jumpsuit and it was incredible. Like that was an amazing wedding outfit. So I think what you're getting at here too is that in many Asian cultures, the white wedding dress is not a traditional garment. So our researcher Cindy pointed out that every culture has a specific outfit designated for weddings, but often they're the same styles as everyday traditional clothing, but in a more luxurious way with luxurious materials and specific auspicious colors. She researched a selection of them, but there are literally so many that this could be a full episode. We'll note before we get into it that the outfits we're about to describe are very gender conforming, and we don't believe anyone needs to conform to these norms or traditions. Now, here's a really quick quick rundown. Uh, In Cambodian weddings, multiple ceremonies traditionally require an outfit change for each, with both parties generally wearing embroidered silk clothing, with gold being an auspicious color. Women wear a tube top and a skirt and elaborate hair and jewelry to match, and men wear silk sampot, which is a wrapped trouser. In Chinese weddings, women can wear a chonghua, which is a two-piece traditional 
outfit comprising of a top outer jacket and a skirt. Though among the diaspora, a red chipao or chung san has become more popular in the past few decades. The chunghua are only supposed to be worn for your wedding, whereas chipao can be worn anytime and arguably have more of a Western influence for their history and in their design, which you can learn more about in our episode 11. Now, for men, makua is the traditional outfit, but is much less commonly worn. In Filipino weddings, women traditionally wear filipiniana, so a traje de mercisa, or a more modern butterfly-sleeved ensemble in white. For men, the barong tagalog, a translucent embroidered shirt, is worn. Is worn. We actually did two deep dives, episode 42 on Terno and 43 on Pina, if you want to learn more about these garments and fabrics. In Indian weddings, multi-day ceremonies traditionally require a new outfit for each occasion, with both people wearing the traditional clothes for their region. So typically a sari or lehenga for women, shirwani, jodhpuri, dhoti, or kurta sets for men. We talk about most of these garments in episode 19, which is all about saris. Wedding garments have more elaborate embroidery and jewelry than everyday or other formal wear, though, and different ceremonies can have associated colors, like yellow for the haldi ceremony, vibrant colors for the sangeet, red for the wedding, it goes on. In Japanese weddings, men can wear monsuki kimono in black with their family crest embroidered in white, while women can wear shiromuku, an all-white ensemble with a large white hood or wataboshi. The white symbolizes purity and taking on the colors and values of the groom's family. This is very traditional, so modern brides may instead choose to wear an uchikake, which is a heavily embroidered red or orange robe with auspicious motifs over the white kimono or hikifurisode, a specific bridal kimono with long sleeves and a trailing hem. In Korean weddings, formal hanbok can be worn, so red for the woman and blue for the man, and traditionally the bride would do elaborate embroidery on their hanbok jacket, the jogori. And in Vietnamese weddings, the women would wear an aoyai, specifically in red, usually with gold embroidery, along with a kandong, which is a circular headdress, while the man would wear an aoyam, also with a kandong. So they're both wearing headdresses. And we've barely scratched the surface. There are so many beautiful traditions and garments associated with weddings from different cultures and so many cultures to cover. We'll definitely be including photos and links in our show notes, so be sure to check that out, as always. Back to the topic of this episode. So let's talk about how these wedding outfits practically fit into the big day or big week. So for most of the Asian American weddings that I've been to, if there is an element of having Western and Asian attire, it usually has to do with having different events or even different photo shoots. So for example, during the ceremony, the couple might be wearing traditional or traditional light garments, and then they might change before the reception. Or there might be multiple festivities and multiple outfit changes where they switch between Western attire and traditional Asian garments. I haven't personally been to any weddings where the couple are wearing traditional outfits the whole way through, though. Have you, Nicole? I've only been to one wedding where the celebrants and guests were wearing traditional outfits, and it was for my cousin's wedding to a woman of Moroccan descent. So it was a beautiful wedding that included Moroccan and Muslim traditions, and my cousin converted from Catholicism so his spouse could marry in her religious tradition, and they wore their outfits the whole night. Uh, Nora wore a white kaftan, which is traditional in many Moroccan communities for weddings, and her kaftan had a light white lace overlay 
like all down the sleeves, all the way to the ankle. And she also wore um, a very flashy silver jeweled belt and also a tiara. So that's the only wedding I'd been to where uh, traditional outfits were worn the whole time. And there was no outfit change, but um, it was a really beautiful experience. Um, It's not something I've actually been a part of in the past. But let's talk about your wedding because we talk about it here and there a lot. You know, I think we have in the last couple of seasons. And let's just give our listeners a refresher. What did you wear for your wedding? First of all, I wish I had the audacity, foresight (laughs) to have worn a tiara. That would have been great. No, I went for the big old white, technically pinkish nude dress. And when I say big, I mean, I mean, big, like cake topper level poof. If you think to those cake toppers back in the like 90s, I wanted I wanted that poof. So if you want a technical description of it, it is a strapless sweetheart neckline corset bodice with a big poofy skirt. The base fabric was off white and quote unquote nude. We know that's a problematic term, but basically a very similar tone to my skin tone, which I just happened to luck out with. And it had a very, very light pink lace on top. I had a cathedral length train and multiple layers of tulle and horsehair kind of holding it all up structurally. And yes, we will have photos of it in the show notes. When I went shopping, I kind of, I had the vague idea of the shape and style I wanted, and that was about it. I wasn't necessarily going on purpose for a designer dress, because honestly, who the heck cares? Like, no one's going to notice, but I ended up with one based on my budget and the style that I wanted, and I guess if it had to happen that way, I am still very happy that I ended up with a dress designed by an Asian American designer. So, at least that part was pretty special. I should also add that it is the most expensive thing I own. Besides big things like a car or my college diploma. And I only recently bought a frame for that. So I don't think anybody has to do it this way at all. And that's a big reason why I wanted to do this episode, because I think there's a multitude of ways to create your wedding outfit and make sure that it is authentic to you and authentic to your values and and what you want out of your big day. And had I known everything I now know about wedding dresses, I might have opted for something different. And you bought your dress new, right? Yeah, I bought it at a bridal salon here in town, which I didn't have a good experience with them. So that's part of my whole like reflection on this process. But you also bought your dress new, right? I did. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned this before. You know, I just went into a David's bridal and bought something off the rack. I was like, I don't know. I had no idea of like what I wanted. It's not something that I grew up like, like I didn't know that I wanted a a strapless ball gown, you know, with a um, like a jewel encrusted belt and a sweetheart top, which is what I went with, you know, a really pretty satin. I would say probably cake topper as well, but I don't think as cake toppery as you. I just remember going in and being like, I don't know, let's just try everything. (laughs) And I knew that I didn't want to go through like stuff, like go through a bunch of different places. So I just picked what I liked and like I wore at the time and that made me feel good. And I was like, all right, great. It was pretty fit. Great. Um, And I just actually only needed to have cups installed. So there wasn't really anything I needed to do with it. Whatever was going on with my body at the time fit the dress. And maybe that's why I was like, sure, whatever. But um, that was over 10 years ago. And so I I would definitely do it differently. Sometimes I want to have another wedding to the same person. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that maybe I could make 
stuff like Shailen and Esther, who we'll talk about later, or just find something that reflects my personal style now. But um, it was right for me at the time. Yeah. And our research found that about 93% of brides in the U.S. buy a new dress and that the average amount that people spend on a main wedding outfit is $1,900, which is up from $1,500 in 2019. And this number does not include outfit changes or alterations, so it can be higher than that. But like we've been alluding to, there are a few different ways that you can acquire a wedding outfit, and our guess is that the remaining 7% of folks either buy secondhand, rent, or make their outfit. I would buy secondhand or rent, for sure. I think I'd make as well, but for for a second wedding to the same person. (laughs) Wedding party? Anniversary party? Yeah, there you go. A vowel, a vowel. (laughs) Renewing my vowels, renewing vows, a vowel renewal ceremony. That's a tricky one. But uh, yeah, I think that's, I would, yeah, I I would consider that now knowing what else is out there and about consumerism and all that. Which brings us to our roundtable discussion. We have two members of our team, Shailen and Esther, like I said, here to share a bit more about what they did as part of their wedding sewing and DIY. Shailen, who goes by at Shailen Sews, S-H-I-L-Y-N Sews on Instagram and YouTube, has multiple videos on our YouTube channel about sewing her old Hollywood wedding, which we will link in the show notes. Welcome, Shailen. Hello. And Esther, who goes by at Esther Makes Adventures on Instagram, uh, that's E-S-T-H-E-R, Makes Adventures on Instagram, just finished posting a 10-part blog post series on her own wedding sewing. Links again will be in the show notes. Welcome, Esther. Hello. Shailin and then Esther, can you remind our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do on the podcast and share what you did for your wedding sewing? Hello, I'm Shailin. I am a one and a half generation Filipino American, and I am a producer and sometimes editor for the podcast. For my wedding, uh, Nicole already said we chose to do an old Hollywood theme. So our colors were champagne gold and green for Irish, um, for my partner. And so I sewed my mom's wedding dress, my maid of honor's dress. And then when we realized that we couldn't rent what's called a morning jacket for a morning suit, because most of that would be found in the UK and not here in the US, I ended up having the tailor and learning how to do all of that so I could make his three-piece suit, which were um, included his pants, a double-breasted vest, and a morning jacket in a chocolate brown wool. Um, and his vest was the same champagne gold that I made my dress of out of. Um, and then somehow, after doing all of that, I was able to make and finish my wedding gown which was a champagne-colored silk charmeuse underlined with silk organza. So the bodice was a sweetheart neckline, um, strapless bodice. Um, I used the charm patterns L'Amour dress for the top. And then for the skirt, it was a mermaid skirt that I self-drafted, and it had a small sweep train in the back. And so I knew that I wanted it to also have like an off-the-shoulder look. 
So I found a lace to go, you know, across the neckline and then over my shoulders. And then I used that lace at the hemline. Um, and then I also made the fascinator instead of a veil for to complete the look. Oh, wow. What an amazing process. I that can't is wait a to whole more. wardrobe. And of course, you left yourself for last. Oh, <laughs> well, we're going to talk more about uh, how all that went for you. But um, Esther, can we hear from you? Hi, I'm Esther. I'm an Asian American with Hong Kong roots, and I'm a producer here for the pod. Um, so for my wedding dress project, I let my imagination run totally wild, and the project eventually evolved into a multi-piece garment outfit. Um, so I actually self-drafted everything. Um, so we'll start off with the base. The base is a top and skirt set that's made out of a handkerchief linen that's in the lilac color. Um, so the top is a princess seam halter top with the mandarin collar and an arch back. And then uh, the top also has a built-in uh, corset with boning channel access so that, because I'm lazy, I can just throw in the washer to wash. Um, the skirt is a princess seam uh, mermaid silhouette skirt and um, it has a train that I eyeballed until it felt like it was the right length for me. Um, <clears throat> on top of the base layer, I made an overlay dress, thanks to actually Shylin's uh, brainstorming session with me. Um, so the overlay dress is uh, made out of tulle and silk organza and uh, topped with some beaded lace. The pattern's pretty much is the exact same as the base layer. Uh, it's just a little bit of modification here and there. Uh, and then the last item that I made was a tulle cape. And it has a mandarin collar and beaded lace on the shoulder and just Again, I eyeballed the end of the 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 end of the train until it looked right, and that's all my outfit. <laughs> and you also posted about it while you're creating it. Like we followed along your whole journey on Instagram stories. So if anyone wants to check that out, definitely go to Esther's Instagram and the blog posts. But since Esther was the most recently married, can you tell us why you chose to sew for your wedding? Yeah, um, so I knew I wa always wanted to sew my own after I really got into sewing. And quite honestly, I felt like I had really specific wants in my wedding outfit that is not normally found in ready-to-wear outfits or, you know, wedding dresses. And if I'm going to ask someone to custom make it, I might as well be the one making it myself, right? Um, so the specific wants that um, I wanted in my outfit was one, to incorporate my heritage. And that was to have the Mandarin collar to echo the Cheng Sam or the Quan Kua um, look that we were talking about earlier. Um, and I also wanted to make sure that when I'm making this outfit, I have opportunities to rewear it. And so 
you know, putting in so much effort into making such an elaborate outfit just so that I can wear it one time just doesn't seem to make sense to me. So there's a lot of design challenges there. Shailen, did you have the same design challenges or was there another reason you wanted to make your own outfit? Um, so like Esther, I have always kind of wanted to make my wedding gown. But really, at the time, the biggest reason was that we needed to save money. And we knew that the the outfits would cost the most, aside from the venue. Um, we ended up pricing it all out, including the venue, to be under $5,000. Which, you know, it sounds impressive. Um, the biggest tip for that is that we also had a very small wedding. It was like 30 people, so that definitely helped. Um, but I priced out all of the outfits um, and how long it took. So, and this doesn't account for the fittings. Um, this is just for the main outfit. So for my mom's dress, it cost about $25 in material. And it took about a day, so five to six hours to do. Um, I was really lucky that she kind of has like a, an off-the-rack type of sizing so I didn't really have to do much for hers and the same with my maid of honors dress that was about $25 and it took you know a day um same thing she only had one fitting and it was great um the three-piece suit is what took the longest um it was just under a hundred dollars in material and it took 36 hours to make the pants the vest and the jacket but I had three fittings so in actuality it probably took six months to make his whole suit um and then that left me with uh two weeks to make mine um and that (laughs) so that took in actuality like you know I'm not working I'm not at work or whatever it took 36 hours hands on the dress to make it and it cost um just over 125 dollars in material like including all the boning and stuff um and then the fascinator i made the the day before the wedding um (laughs) (laughs) and um classic yeah so that cost like just under 15 so you know all the outfits and everything was under 300 dollars, and then the rest was like wedding stuff Wow, that is really cool that you kept an accounting of what of how much everything costs in time and in money. Because I think I didn't really start to think about these things until I started sewing. So it's cool to be able to look back and say this is what it took. You know? Yeah, I was going through some sort of uh, Excel spreadsheet phase, and so I was <laughs> like, I need to know if this was worth it because I know this is going to take up so much time and I need to know if I'm actually saving money or anything. I mean, it sounds like you did as given as much as as much work as it was for you. It sounded like you did. Do you feel like you did? I mean, yeah, I think it was worth it. Um, did you want me to go into the story? Yeah, of course. Let's okay. hear it. Um So with the whole process, I do think it was worth it. 
um, because I was able to add little details that you can't really do when you buy something off the rack. I guess you could add it on later on, you know, later. Like you hear about people doing like initials into their jackets or dresses and that's really cute. Um, but like just being able to add little details, I think made it more special. So when we were fabric shopping, my partner found this yellow floral print rayon and he was just like this is really soft and I would like it against me <laughs> so we I lined his jacket out of that material because he said it was really soft and he really wanted it somewhere no one had to see it but he wanted to know that even he could be pretty so we put that in there and it's just stuff like that that you can't do unless you want to pay for custom um, another part of the process that I really enjoyed was just being able to control each part of the dress. So I was, I went dress shopping with my maid of honor and, you know, we did the whole montage where you try on the different dresses and you take the pictures and you figure out which one you like. Um, so we took pictures of every gown that I liked and every part of it. So, you know, I knew that I liked the top of one gown but the skirt of another and maybe I like the detailing of a different one and so that's how I figured out that I like dresses with less lace and like more details in certain parts of it so um even though I like I said earlier even though I planned out so much time for each piece I ended up taking six weeks longer on his three-piece suit because I think it was like the jacket the hand stitching and the what's it called for the lapel when you um do all the hand stitching to manipulate the lapel pad stitching yes pad stitching I did not realize how difficult that would be because I was like, in the pictures, it's just slashes across the lapel. I didn't know that it was actually supposed to like make it fold out a certain way and manipulate the fabric. So that took a lot longer than I expected. Um, obviously, fitting didn't, I didn't factor in fitting. So um, I had to learn on the go, like the shoulders didn't fit right. So I needed to do all these changes that I'd never had to do for myself because I've I have boobs and it's a little bit different to fit for boobs than it is to fit for shoulders and like a wider chest that's not like protruding you know what I mean so I was like I don't know anything about menswear oh my god <laughs> <laughs> so I had two weeks to make my gown um it went along pretty well for the first week, I had a full gown made, and I just wanted to do the detailing I talked about. The lacing across the chest and around the shoulders to make that off-the-shoulder look. Um, the lace had mesh on it that was nude, but it wasn't my skin tone. So I had seen a tip where you can use a soldering iron... And you can burn off all of the little extra mesh bits so you're left with the just intricate lace and it looks more delicate. So 
a week before the wedding, this is Monday before the wedding on Friday, I am late night, I'm work, I, I'm late night working on this dress, just burning off the little pieces um, <laughs> of the, the mesh, and my ADHD kicks in, and I'm just like, what else do I have to do? After this, I got to work on the veil, or on the fascinator, and I don't really remember where I put the veil material. So I call my partner, and I'm like, do you remember where this material is? And in that moment, I had put the soldering iron down. I was still no. holding the dress, and he comes upstairs, and he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm just like, <laughs> useless. What do you mean? This is the last part of my dress. You need to know what this is. And he's just like, calm down. We'll find it. Is it on the table that everything sewing and wedding related is on? And I'm just looking at the table. It's mostly my dress. And I'm like, no, it's got to be somewhere else. I put no. the dress down and I start looking he goes downstairs i'm upstairs looking in all the drawers like maybe i put it in a bag over here maybe a bag over there and all of a sudden i smell something burning and i'm just like oh no i grab my dress pick it up there's a burnt patch on like the hip area of my dress this is something that you cannot show or hide anywhere with any amount of like creative thinking at least at the time i don't know maybe maybe someone else can come up with something and i just like scream my partner comes upstairs and he goes i don't know where it is what what's wrong I'm like it's not that it's my dress and i'm and he's like can you show me no i'm still oh. in like bride mode you're not supposed to see my dress. This is bad luck. You can't you can't look at this. You you don't even know how to sew. So why would I show you this if you can't come up with an idea anyway? Oh no. So I'm just like crying and he's just like kind of looking but not looking like are you sure I can't look at it? Oh. And I'm like I mean I guess you should because our wedding at the time, it was in September, there was a hurricane coming up Virginia. We lived in Virginia at the time. The wedding was in Ohio, and my family would have to fly to Ohio. And the hurricane's, like, coming up strong, and I'm just like, it doesn't even matter because I don't even know if my mom can go to the wedding, so the wedding is going to be off because I don't have a dress. Aww. And my mom's not going to be there, so why does it matter? And he's like calm down let just can I look at it and I'm like whatever look at it and he's just like grabs the scissors and he's looking at the dress and he's like we can put the lace across the hip and I'm like that would be hideous why no and he's like you can put a flower you can make a little flower and put like flowers <laughs> down the side of your dress and I'm just like that is hideous that's 80s or whatever I don't know what popped in my head but I'm just like shooting down all of his ideas and he's like where's the pattern I got the scissors and I'm like I don't think you understand this is silk it is difficult to work with 
and he's like but I have watched you for years so <laughs> I will figure this out and I'm like fine Aww. you do it and this man grabbed the silk laid it flat he saw I don't know at one time how much it shifted on the table so he tapes it all down <laughs> Puts the pattern on top, tapes the pattern down onto the dress or onto the, the silk. Wait, no pattern weight, just tape. Tape! And it worked! Because when you put the pattern weights on there, the edges will still shift because of how silk is. But the tape made it so it wouldn't shift at all. So I'm on the other side of the table while he's cutting and I'm just still bawling my eyes out my tears are eventually dropping onto the silk and the silk is starting to stain and I'm like oh no I can't cry on my dress so I have the dress like as far away from me as possible as I'm bent over seam ripping it crying not over (laughs) my dress so I could salvage the rest of the dress and so I think we stayed up till like one or two in the morning and we were able to put it back together. The saving grace. And I don't, I mean, I don't, this can't be a tip because I hope no one ever (laughs) burns their dress, but silk organza, I guess burns at a higher temperature. So the organza underneath the silk kept it from burning through to the back of the dress. So I only had to do the one panel. So we were able to reuse the organza and just have to cut out the one silk piece. I mean, that's still pretty good. (laughs) Many, many lessons learned here, some of which I will summarize as make sure your partner watches what you're doing when you're sewing so that they know what to do in case you cannot complete your dress or you accidentally burn it. Number two, hot irons are dangerous. (laughs) That is why they some of them have safety switches. Number three, uh, always have extra fabric. <laughs> oh, I bought so That's... much extra fabric. I bought 10 yards of this thing, and I only ended up using, like, three. So I bought so much of it, and, I mean, in the end, it was like, I tell this story now, and I still feel the emotions, but no. I also always... Re- it reminds me that I chose the right person because he immediately had a solution for like everything. Even though I shot them all down, in the end he was like like a little seamstress hero in a cape and like the scissors in his hand. He was like, show me where the pattern is. <laughs> and the, like I still remember what he looked like when he did that. So, yeah. I love That's it. so sweet. It's so cute. <laughs> All right, Esther, I know you didn't have anything similar, I think, but now that you've finished your blog series and reflecting on your whole wedding sewing process, I know you spent a lot of time on research and then designing and choosing your fabric. So was there anything particularly that you enjoyed about the process or was maybe quite as memorable as Shailen's own experience? Uh, yeah, mine was not nearly as dramatic as Shailen's. I'm so glad you made it past it um but uh like shylin was saying uh where you went to the store and tried out dresses i did the same thing except i went alone um and i thought that was actually really helpful 
to try on the dresses to get like the right silhouettes. So that part was part of my research phase and that was really fun. Um, and I knew similar to what you did, um, I also took pictures to decide the elements of a dress that I like so that I can kind of pull it all together into this one giant ridiculous project. <laughs> Um, so the part that I actually really, really enjoyed was the testing part of it. Um, so I made a lot of mock-ups, a lot of samples. Uh, Ada, you mentioned earlier that I was taking everyone on my Instagram on this journey of dressmaking, which was, a, was quite fun as well. Um, but one of the few things that I really enjoyed was... Um, even though the, the design decision making part of it was really overwhelming. Um, and I think it's one of those things that you don't really notice it when you're, you know, trying to make a dress uh, out of a pattern. But when you have to start everything from scratch, do everything by yourself, um, that's when it starts becoming overwhelming. Um, but it was also really exciting to me because it was, making a one-of-a-kind garment like literally no one else on the face of this earth will have the same dress um, so that was really cool and at one point in my journey i realized that no amount of googling is gonna be able to save myself because <laughs> when you're making a one-of-a-kind right you're like oh let me google how this is gonna work out for like a similar design but then in reality you really just have to do, you know, mock-ups and test your samples with your fabric and see how it drapes and everything. So that, for me, um, I was able to take that into more of an experiment direction, which for me became a lot more fun because then it's a lot less about my perfectionism and a lot more about just trying things out and learning through the success and failures. Um, and then I will say that uh, one of the last thing that I really enjoyed was learning all sorts of different skills. Um, so in particular, I learned how to drape my own bodice. And then I also learned how to make a built-in corset. And those are the two things that I would say making the it's very different from making an everyday garment ada is this making you want to give it a try or wish you had tried oh absolutely not <laughs> like shylin's like i had 10 yards of fabric and then i only used three like to achieve the amount of poof that i wanted i think i would have needed like a hundred yards of tool in my house and i just don't think that would have been great for any of the other things that I was working on at the time. Um, but, you know, I did end up doing some alterations, which we can talk about later. But I'm curious, like, we've talked about what we've learned, things that we've tried out, uh, the process. Would, is there anything that you would have changed about the process of making your own dress? So I know that <laughs> my story was very dramatic, um, obviously I, I wish I had a little bit more time and that probably would have helped the situation in the sense of it's, it's in three days, you know, like I, I don't have time to do this. Um, but really 
I don't think I would have changed a lot of it um, because I really learned a lot. And I, in the end, I look, I still look back at those pictures and I'm like, wow, I did that. I sometimes wonder how I did it because I don't think I would make it again. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do sometimes wonder what I would have come up with if I started delving into my Filipino culture before that time because I've only recently done that like in the past couple years so but like Nicole said it was the dress was right for me at the time so maybe if I did a dress now I would have went and did some sort of you know elaborate Filipiniana but at the time I was really into the whole old Hollywood 50s vibe um I do have a tip and it is 100% related to the timing is because what I did was I actually did have a friend that made her wedding gown about a year before and I asked her for help and she said I gave myself six weeks I wish I had 12 and so I'm telling the listeners maybe triple the amount of time you think you need just in case something happens because if you haven't self-drafted it before or if you've never used boning before or like me I hadn't also done pad stitching I didn't anticipate anything that would go with it so I had no gauge of how long that would take Esther did Shailene warn you like Shailene asked her friend so you already knew this when you went into your journey so did you ask Shailene for advice yeah, there was definitely a lot of advice asking from Shailin, because since we're talking about time, Shailin did warn me about the time. She said she had 12 weeks, so I was like, okay, she did in 12 weeks, I'm going to add two weeks for buffer for myself, so I had 14 weeks to do this. <laughs> to be honest, I wish I gave myself even more time. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, Double the time, triple if you have to. Um, I will say that throughout this process, I really do wish that I gave myself more time to properly rest. And um, shout out to Mariko, our fellow producer here on the pod. I had complained to her about it and she said, I know what you need. And so she whipped out her project management skills and helped me pull together like a whole timeline. We, you know, we're working on the mirror board, trying to figure out what task I need, what are goals and what are stretch goals. <laughs> it was the whole nine yards. <laughs> it was awesome. Um, so shout out to Mariko. Thanks for your help. So project, uh, project management is was was really helpful there. Um, I think another thing that Shailen talked about was uh, making sure that you have extra material. And I think that's very true, especially when uh, you're trying to buy stuff online. You do have to kind of buy samples to test it out to see how it looks in person. But otherwise, I don't think there are any changes that I would do to my journey. Um, have you guys ever seen the plot that says success is not linear. And then like, it's like a squiggle that looks like a bunch of spaghetti. Yep. It kind of feels like that plot really describes how my dress journey was (laughs) and you know, life in general, right? But I feel like I got to 
enjoy every loops and <laughs> dips and of all in that whole journey. And so um, I felt like this whole experience of learning, celebrating the success and also learning from the failures along the way really helped boost my self-confidence and like believe in my ability to make something. So yeah, that. I wouldn't trade that for anything in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and your photos came out gorgeous. Like I remember when you posted in our Slack, you were like this highly anticipated event. And I was like, what highly anticipated event? And then I clicked on it and it was your wedding photo book kind of like, I don't have a better description of it. And I was like, Oh my God, it's done. And like the collective collectively lost our minds. <laughs> they were screaming like separately, but in emojis and gifs and yeah, it, it turned out great. So I'm glad you had a good learning experience. <laughs> Part of the learning experience that we kind of touched upon, but we haven't actually gone into, is that when you make your own dress or you're self-drafting, you, I assume, don't have to alter it unless you go through some major changes between when you draft it and when you're wearing it, because you're making it to your measurements as of when you're measuring and cutting out stuff. Whereas uh, I had to do some light alterations and Nicole had to do cup insertion, which is an alteration. So my alterations were also cup insertion and then creating a whole bustle from scratch on my dress, which in its own way is its own form of wedding sewing. <laughs> yeah, I didn't sew at the time. Again, over 10 years ago, didn't have a sewing machine. Um, but I do. I did what I always do is I copied my older sister and I went to someone called the Boob Fairy on her business card, Boob Fairy. I was like, oh. Okay. Um, and just got cups installed. And then there was a little bit of beading that needed to be reset, like at the, I mean, I would have done it now. Um, but yeah, I just got it done the traditional route by someone else. And I know some of us have been married for longer than others. And I want to hear like what's happened to those wedding outfits since getting married. And I'll tell you, number one, um, Michael wore a morning suit, um, but we rented it. We were able to find it uh, at the time. I know. I know. Sorry, Shailen. <laughs> Wish we knew each other 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I don't even think it was anywhere like, special, but he's English. So, you know, and he moved from England and all the all the men in our bridal party and like sponsors, which is a Filipino slash Catholic thing all wore morning suits so it's nice to see like my brother and my uncle in a morning suit anyway those went back because <laughs> they were rented um but right now my dress is in a box I got it preserved and it's kind of weird it's just this large box and it's it was cleaned and folded up nicely and it's just in a box and I feel a little bit like I've there. I've gone through phases, especially since I started sewing. Thinking, let's just do something with this. It's just it's fabric in a box, surely. Like I could use this white satin, or I could use the other things. But like, mm, haven't decided yet. <laughs> so, it's in a box. What about you, Shailen? <laughs> so, my mom and my maid of honor both kept their dresses. Um, I'm not sure if they actually wore it again, but I made them. You know, like a knee length that way they could wear it another time if they really wanted to um my partner's three-piece suit his morning suit um 
is partially still here. Um, I made it out of wool and um, we forgot that it was made out of wool. So he was wearing the pants for work because he was like, I nice brown work pants. I will wear this every so often. And we threw it in the wash and it shrunk like four sizes. So <laughs> yeah, they, they were like five inches shorter and like way too short in the waist. And they looked like little kids pants. So those are not no longer here. Um, but he does still wear the vest to work every so often and he's really been itching to wear the jacket again. We just don't get invited to anything crazy where he could wear the jacket. So um, he hasn't worn that yet. My dress is just sitting in the closet. I look at it every so often and I'm like, wow, I did that. But that's really the most that it gets that gets done to it now. I, I don't have any other ideas for it. It's pretty fitted. It no longer fits me. Um, I Yeah. No idea. I I don't know what I could do with it unless I just made little pieces of something else out of it. So for me, mine's currently sitting in the work in progress pile because <laughs> uh, after taking the wedding photos and uh, doing laundry and washing it all, I realized that there were a few minor things I wanted to fix. Um, so namely the collar for the Mandarin collar uh your very smart girl did not interface it so now it's like all wrinkly and like oh like every time <laughs> i look at it i'm just like i why did i do that <laughs> um so i'm gonna fix that uh and then also uh, there were beads that just weren't secured like i didn't catch it when i was speed hand stitching them all down just in time for the photo shoot <laughs> Uh, so I have to fix that too um, but the whole outfit will hopefully see light again when we go home for Christmas um, we're hoping to do some photo ops with family and um, the for at, at least for the base dress because you know kind of what, what Shailene was saying earlier where it's like you don't really have an occasion to rewear something that you work so hard on I'm hoping that I get invited to my cousin's wedding next year and then I can wear it again. Um, but before that, I have to add a bustle to it because I don't think I want to chop off the train. That's too pretty. I feel too much like a princess in it. So, <laughs> But you also want to be able to walk so the bustle is a little, little helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, my dress I don't know if it's normal, but it took a very long time after we came back from our wedding to get it dry cleaned. So I actually had it dry cleaned probably eight or nine months after. Um, it also doesn't help that I had surgery right after we came back. So like that kind of threw off my timing. But before we packed up and like came home, I did try to pick out as many souvenirs as my photographer called them from the bottom because as you can imagine in a giant cake topper dress when you're walking on grass and around trees and things you pick up souvenirs so I spent the morning after our wedding picking out souvenirs and like later picking out some more souvenirs and uh the very nice Asian-owned dry cleaner here who did it was very understanding that it was a gigantic wedding dress and he was like this was, you really went for it. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> I did not feel judged. I felt very supported, but I also felt very bad that they had to go through all those layers. Um, and that dress is still sitting upstairs. I didn't get it preserved per se because I thought about maybe either chopping it to have like a big kind of formal dress, but I again didn't know what kind of occasion I could wear that to because with the color scheme it is it could skew a little bridal and I also thought about unpicking the skirt from the bodice because the corset top is actually pretty cute and I thought I could rewear that but we shall see and I actually have another dress that I haven't really talked about because I bought a while I had ordered this dress the one that I did wear Um, things with my dad were declining. So we thought about doing a wedding outside of his window. And, uh, I went ahead and just like went and bought a dress off the rack. And so that dress was very similar, but not the same. It was a sample one. So it had to get repaired and, and altered actually officially. Like that was way faster than me doing it in my frenzied state at that point. And so that dress actually did take it to do photos in during my makeup trial and my hair trial. And, So it did get kind of its day in the spotlight because we didn't get to use it for a window wedding, but uh, it is actually up for sale right now (laughs) on one of those secondhand markets. It's been listed for a while, so we'll see. I think it's a bit harder to resell a wedding dress, even one that's like an A-line skirt with a V-neck. And it's just hard because the sizing has to be pretty close, right, in terms of how much alteration you could do without completely drastically changing the dress. So I think to find somebody within the size range that could fit this dress that couldn't isn't taller than me because <laughs> I did have it shortened a little bit, um, we'll see what happens to it. But yeah, they're just sitting in my closet right now. I forgot to say that I, uh, I, I also had a second dress, uh, but I never wore it. It was supposed to be a reception dress that was – also like a sweetheart tube top neckline, but a mermaid style skirt instead of the ball gown style. And I was just having so much fun at the reception that like, I was like, yeah, whatever, I don't need to change into it. But to your point about like what to do with this other dress, I don't have any pictures of me in it. I ended up donating it to an organization that allows brides, I can't remember what the cause was, but people who are getting married to pick out wedding dresses for free. So that's, if you don't feel like keeping it around, I think I just ended up donating it. Not to Goodwill or anything like that, but it was like a specific organization that was meant for providing um, wedding outfits for people. I love that. Okay, one final question for everyone. Whether you bought, made, altered your wedding outfit, any advice for someone considering wedding outfits in the near future? Esther? Esther? I would say there are no rules on what a wedding outfit should look like. You do you. Pick out what makes you feel the most like yourself, whether it is a jumpsuit, whether it's a white dress, whether it's a super colorful ensemble. (laughs) Do what makes you feel like you're special because you are. Um, I think I mentioned this before, or we've mentioned this a few times um, earlier, but if you plan on making it, I fully recommend just going out and doing a dress fitting anyway, just so you can see what you look like. Because I thought I had a certain idea for what I would like to wear and make, 
But then when I put on the different gowns, I realized that I did like the fitted look and I actually kind of looked good in it instead of like, oh, maybe I need to, you know, do like a bigger skirt because I didn't like how I looked in some other types of dresses. I thought it would be the same thing. So you might surprise yourself if you just go out and, you know, try on and pretend you're going down the aisle with your friends, you know, and hopefully you can come up with um, the silhouette that you want. And then if you are making it again, you get an idea of what the construction looks like, because I may have peeked on some of them like, ooh, how did they do this? And um, I noticed that like some of the buttons down the dress that look really delicate and you're like how do how do they put all of those buttons on it's a zipper you know (laughs) so you'd be surprised with how they do some of the construction for these pieces yeah i agree with what shailene said it really was helpful to go try on what looks good on you and i definitely was peeking underneath the dress and spent a little too long in the dressing room taking pictures of what the underneath looks like I'm going to echo that, but more in the sense of the colors of bridal fabrics. When you think of like a white dress and like Western attire, there, there's, I didn't know there were so many shades of white, ivory, and eggshell. I had no clue. And I thought I wanted like bright, bright white. And then I came out of a dressing room with one of those on and I looked gray. And I was just like, what is happening here? I look sickly. And so I didn't think I would end up pink as my favorite color. I didn't think I would end up with a pinky nude dress. But here we are. It actually did look very white on me. And so if you are able to go try on dresses, I definitely recommend like looking at those swatches. Or even if you're making your own and you're buying the fabric, like swatch the fabric against parts of your body because not all the same parts of your body have the same color. Mm. So, you know. Go in different shades of lighting, use mirrors, take pictures, like have your friends weigh in on how the pictures are coming out or how it looks, because you would be very surprised how these colors come out. (laughs) All right, Nicole, advice to take us home? I don't have any advice. (laughs) You all (laughs) covered it. I echo everything. I didn't do any of those things, but um, they all sound like really sound plans for figuring out what you want to wear for your wedding. All right, that wraps it up. Thank you, Shailen and Esther, for being on with us today and in front of the mic slash camera, sharing more about your wedding sewing experiences. We will be linking to all of their helpful resources on the internet if you, our dear listeners, would like to take a stab at making your own wedding outfit or formal wear. I'm sure their knowledge will be helpful for some of our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Asian Sewist Collective Podcast. If you like our show, please consider supporting us on Coffee by becoming a one-time or monthly supporter or by buying our stickers and sewing labels. That's right, we have merch. Buy the labels, they are hilarious. Your financial support helps us with overhead expenses and will allow us to give back to our all-volunteer team who works so hard to provide you with new content each week. The link to our coffee page is ko-fi.com slash Asian Sewist Collective, and you can find the link in our show notes, on our website, and on our Instagram account. Check us out on Instagram at Asian Sewist Collective. That's one word, Asian Sewist Collective. And you can also help us out by spreading the word and telling your friends. 
We would appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All of the links and resources mentioned in today's episode will be in the show notes on our website. That's asiansewistcollective.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Email us with your questions, comments, or even voice messages if you want to be featured on future episodes at asiansewistcollective at gmail.com. This episode was brought to you by your co-hosts, Ada Chen and Nicole Angeline. Thank you so much to the other members of our collective who made this week's episode a reality. This is the Asian Sewist Collective podcast, and we'll see you next week.